0: Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21, and I'm going to read uh, a portion of, uh, a little longer portion this morning just for us to kind of get the idea of what's going on here again, the context. We're going to start with verse 10. Numbers 21, beginning in verse 10. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in Oboth. And they journeyed from Oboth and, and pitched at Ajayabim Ajayarim, in the wilderness which is before Moab toward the sun rising. From this they removed and pitched in the valley of Zered. From thence they removed and pitched on the other side of Arnon, which is in the wilderness that cometh out of the coast of the Amorites, for the Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Wherefore, it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, what did he did in the Red Sea and the brooks of Arnon and the stream of the brooks that goeth down to the dwelling of Ar, Ar and lieth upon the border of Moab. And from thence they went to Beer. Uh, that is, the well whereof the Lord spake unto Moses, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing ye unto it. The princes digged the well. The nobles of the people digged by the direction of the lawgiver with their staves, and with, from the wilderness they went to Matanah. And Matanah to Nahiliel, and Nahiliel to Bemath and from Bamoth in the valley, that is the country of Moab, to the top of Pisgah, which looketh toward Jeshamon. And Israel sent messengers unto Sihon, the king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through the land. We will not turn into the fields or into the vineyards. We will not drink of the waters of the well, but we will go along by the king's highway until we be past thy borders. And Sihon would not suffer Israel, to pass through his border. But Sihon gathered all his people together and went against Israel in the wilderness, and he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. And Israel smote him with the edge of the sword and possessed his land from Arnon unto Jabbok, Jabbok, even unto the children of Ammon, Uh, for the border of the children of Ammon was strong. And Israel took all of these cities, and Israel dwelt in the cities of the Amorites in Heshbon, and in all the villages thereof. And Heshbon was the city of Sion, the king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and taken all his land out of his hand, even unto Arnon. Wherefore they spake in Proverbs, saying, Come into Heshbon, and let the city of Sion be built and prepared. And there is a fire gone out of Heshbon, a flame from the city of Sihon, and it hath consumed Ar of Moab and the lords of the high places of Arnon. Woe to thee, Moab! Thou art undone, O people of of Chemosh! He hath given his sons and escaped, and his daughters in the captivity of Sion, king of the Amorites. We have shot at them. Hashbon is d- perished even unto Dibon, and they have laid them waste unto Nopha, which is reacheth from Midiba. Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites, and Moses sent a spy. Jazer, and he took the villages thereof and drove out the Amorites that were there. And they turned and went by the way of Bashan, and the Og of the king of Bashan, went out against them, and he and all his people in the battle of Edrei. And the Lord said unto Moab, Fear him not, for I have delivered him into thy hand, and all his people in his hand, his land, And thou shalt do to him as thou didst to Sihon, king of the Amorites, which dwelt at Hishbon. And so they smote him and his sons and all his people until there were none left alive, and they possessed his land. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. And I want us to look at this particular portion of scripture. And we have a message entitled Concepts on Conquering. There was a man by the name of Robert Moffat who had fallen in love with Mary Smith, the daughter of his boss. He went to propose to her, and she wanted to accept, and they dreamed of serving the Lord together in South Africa, but they lived in the days when missionaries regularly fell in the distant, unmarked graves. Robert's parents, though they were apprehensive, they were willing to let him go. But Mary's parents refused to give a consent. But Robert's heart was torn to pieces. Should he marry Mary and remain in Scotland, or should he surrender to the will of God? And he wrote his parents a letter, and he told them From the clearest indications of his providence, he bids me to go out alone, and he who appoints crosses and disappointments also imparts resignation and grace sufficient unto the day. So I am bold to adopt the language of Eli and say, It is the Lord, let him doeth what seemeth him good. Well, on October the 18th, 1815, Robert and Mary tore themselves apart, and Robert boarded a ship to South America alone, or South Africa, excuse me. And three years later, however, Mary's parents surrendered to the Lord's keeping and allowed her to marry Robert, And to join him in Africa. They walked hand in hand in remarkable missionary service for 50 years. What a story of dedication and conquering of self will. And even though this particular message is not necessarily geared directly to fathers, there is a tremendous lesson here for fathers. Fathers, are you willing to allow your children to follow God's will? even if it means to go to some foreign country far, far away. Willing to allow your children to follow God's will. Romans 8, 37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, if you remember a couple of messages ago, we found the Hebrews suffering from a severe case of impatience. And ingratitude, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about impatience, ingratitude. And the children of Israel were angry with God and Moses about having to take a detour around Edom. The weather and the terrain on the detour was very hot. It was searing, scorching hot. It was stressful. And it was strength draining. You say, I got a job like that. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, this was tough. Their tempers were on fire as they expressed disdain for God's provision on the manna of the manna, and as we saw even last week, God took them to the woodshed. And this time there were snakes in the woodshed. The people were afflicted with painful, deadly snake bites. Now the Bible says fiery serpents, but it weren't it wasn't that the serpents were on fire, it was that their bite was fiery. It was so a poisonous that it was it would kill him and God provided a solution to repent and they said we have sinned and they were to make a brazen serpent and put it on a pole and when the people looked at the serpent they would be healed and the healing was from God as promised and so there was chastisement that brought revival around among God's people their hearts were soft they were tender they were ready to go forward by faith and that is the byproduct of chastisement Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11 says now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous nevertheless after it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby maybe you could be remembering this morning as you think of Father's Day of being exercised by your father's discipline. I remember it. You say, oh, Pastor, you were such a good boy, weren't you? Not always. And sometimes I got myself in trouble, and I needed to be chastened. My dad was old-fashioned, of course, and he would use a belt. He never critically hurt me or anything or bruised me. In fact, one day, he said, here, and he laid down on the bed, he said, you spanked me. I said, I don't, you know, I deserve it. He said, you know, that's how much it hurts me when I have to discipline you. I never forget that. But again, if you look here at Numbers chapter 21 and verses 10 through 12, as we have already read, it says the children of Israel, set forward and pitched in Oboth, and they journeyed from the Oboth and pitched at uh, rim in the uh, wilderness, which is before Moab, toward the sunrise. From thence they removed and pitched in the valley of Zairid. In Deuteronomy, Zairid now is a picture of the end of an old generation, as the last of the disobedient generation that died there. Remember, not everyone was able to go into the promised land. But in Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 13, it says, Now rise up, said I, and get you over the brook Zared, and, uh, we went over the book of Zerod and the space in which we came to Kadesh Barnea until we came over the Brook of was thirty and eight years until all the generation of men of war were wasted out from among the host as the Lord sware unto them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them among the host until they were consumed. Now there's some truths here that I want us to see. Just three simple truths that we will look at this morning. I trust they'll be a help to us. And the first one, the first truth is God's word is true. God's word is true. The children of Israel wandered for a total of 40 years and those who were 20 and older would not enter the promised land and these other folks, this older generation, died out. Remember, we, I think we talked about a little bit about how many funerals they had to have every day and for these all this generation to die out in the time that was... Allowed there. God's word, though, is our weapon. It helps us to conquer those things that would destroy us spiritually. It's uh, Psalm 19 and verse 7 through 11, and I won't spend uh, a long time explaining or talking about Psalm 19, but it's a wonderful passage of scripture that shows us the truth of God's word. Psalm 19, I'll just read this portion. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11. It says there, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in the keeping of them there is great reward. And that's not only just for fathers, that's for mothers and Sons and daughters as well. The word of God is perfect. It's sure. It's right. It's pure. It's clean. It's true. And it's righteous. Now, these folks here in Numbers may have thought they got away with their disobedience. But the second truth I want us to see is judgment did come. Now, I just read a portion from Deuteronomy chapter 2 it it mentioned the book or the brook Zered or Zered as it's pronounced here in the Numbers, same brook. And when they came over the brook, all the generation of the men of war were wasted out from among the host, and the Lord swear unto them. What this means is that there was judgment that came to Israel, and the judgment is is on your path this morning if you're lost without Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us judgment is also on the path of the believer. Hebrews 9.27, it says, And it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. John 5.22, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Romans 2.16, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. There's a judgment time coming. For those who are lost and without Christ, it's not a good judgment. For those who know Christ, Well, we're all going to have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're not going to have to be judged for our sins. But we're going to have to be uh, judged for what we've done with our lives after we were saved. Whether it be good or bad. And realizing that you'll have to give an account for your life before the Lord, I think should help us to motivate us to be a conqueror for Christ and a faithful servant of the Lord. But there's a third truth here, and that truth is that Zered means exuberant growth. That's the meaning of the word, exuberant growth. Now the old generation is gone. Now Israel could go forward and get what God had for them. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You say, well, I've been to school. I've been working all my life. I've been growing all my life. I've, I've done growing, right? No, we never get done growing in the Lord. The Hebrews respond to their difficulties in a different manner now. They need water, and God tells them he will give it them. Go back to Numbers 21, verse 16. And from thence they went to beer, and that is the well whereof the Lord spake unto Moses, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. They needed water. There's no more grumbling, there's no more griping And then we're told that they sing. They sang a song. It's time they sang. And they conquer their fear with obedience and faith. And this works for you and me as well. Verse 17 says, Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing ye unto it. Now, there had been no record of them singing for almost 20 or 40 years. This is the first time they began to sing. After 40 years. You see, when God when you disobey God, God robs you of your joy. You don't feel like singing. Psalm 137. Psalm 137 says in verse 1, it says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof, for there they had carried us away captive, required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Well, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? See, God wants us to sing. He wants us to have joy in our hearts. You say, I can't sing. I don't know how. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. Well, maybe your bucket's full of holes. I don't know. You need to plug up the holes and sing anyway. Ask God to put a new song in your mouth, as it says in Psalm 40, and praise unto the Lord with singing. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10 says then he said unto them go your way and eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for nothing is prepared for this day is holy unto the lord neither be ye sorry for the joy of your lord is, joy of the lord is your strength Psalm 95 verse 1 O come let us sing unto the Lord let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19 speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord James 5:13 is any among you afflicted let him pray is any merry let him sing psalms but you know what sin will rob you of your joy Faith will strengthen your joy. The Hebrews got their joy back when they got right with God and were back in his will. If you lost your joy, you need to get right with God and let him lead your life. Now, if you remember, I started the message with a man by the name of Robert Moffat. There was also a colleague of his by the name of Barnabas Shaw and he worked with him in South Africa. He was a missionary from England who went to Cape Town to preach the gospel and was forbidden from doing so by the governor there. And not knowing what to do, Shaw purchased a yoke of oxen and a cart and put his goods in the back. And Shaw and his wife took their seat in the cart and they gave the reins to the Lord. And the oxen rambled into the interior, lowing and trudging ahead day after day, covering about 200 miles and just... Under a month. One evening, while camping in the bush, Shaw heard noises nearby. And upon investigation, he found a tribe of Hottentots, led by their chief, Little Namakulan. And they had left their homes and village to travel to Cape Town in search of a missionary to teach them the great word. Now, had either party started a half day sooner or later... Or veered off a half mile, this way or that, they would never have met. But it was Barnabas Shaw's establishing a thriving work among them, spending 11 years before returning to England on furlough, and he devoted total 40 years to advancing the gospel in South Africa, and he learned the secret of joy and blessing by letting the Lord lead him and his wife and taking the reins off of his own life. The Israelites would continue their journey toward Gilead, the land east of Jordan. And Israel would seek permission from Sihon, king of the Amorites, to pass through the land. Look again at verse 22. Let me pass through thy land. We will not turn from the fields or into the vineyards. We will not drink of the waters of the well. But we will go along by the king's highway until we are past thy borders. You go on down through verse 30. And that's exactly again uh, what happened. And uh, Zion refused, Sihon refused uh, passage and attacked God's people. And with a hard heart, he and his people destroyed by his hatred toward the Israelites. We read over in Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 30 But Sihon, king of Hashbun, would not let us pass by him, for the Lord thy God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him unto thy hand as it appeareth this day. You see, Sihon, King Sihon is a picture of a sinner today who's been offered peace and blessing by the Lord on very gracious terms, but he rejects God's offer of salvation to their own destruction. And we know people like that. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like that. You've been offered the peace and the blessing the Lord can give, but you've rejected it. And Jesus Christ alone is God's offer of peace, peace with God, peace in your soul, peace with others, and peace in eternity. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of accepting God's free offer of salvation, men war against the Lord and try to drive him out of their lives. Proverbs 124 says, Because I have called and ye have refused, I have stretched out my hand, but no man regarded. Proverbs 1 and verse 30 and 32 through 32 says, They would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way, and be filled with their own devices, but for the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. You see, you cannot conquer God. Fighting and resisting the Lord in your life leads to failure, to defeat, to discouragement, to disillusionment, to depression, and eventually to death. Vicar Thomas Bell tried to fight God in his life and in 1680 he ordered soldiers to drag William, William Veech out of his home one winter night to the prison because William Veech's faith in Jesus Christ. And the children and his wife were terrified. William was to be executed in a short time, so the time uh, time was of essence. And Mary and his wife traveled to the prison on horseback on a cold January night, and she arrived around midnight almost half frozen, and the guards would not awaken her husband, so she sat by the fire throughout the night. Uh, She was given a few moments with her husband the next morning and then was torn away from him. And she returned to a friend's house and wept bitterly. But she was comforted with Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12 and 13, where it says, Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy? Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Two days later, vicar Thomas Bell set out to return to his home late at night after visiting a friend. He was found two days later standing up to his arms in a block of ice in the river. William Veach was soon freed and served the Lord with his wife for more than 40 more years. God got the victory. Psalm, 19, or Psalm 9 verse 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Now, if you go down to uh, the last several verses here of this passage that we read, verses 31 through 35, we find that after the victory over Sihon, King Og of Bashan attacked Israel. And Sihon and Og were both Amorite kings. Sihon was of the southern kingdom and Og was of the north. And Og was no ordinary man. He was a giant of a man. Deuteronomy 3.11 tells us that his bed was 13 and a half feet long by six feet wide. Do you suppose that's where we get the term king size bed? Maybe. God told his people to have no fear, though. And you may be facing some giants in your life as well. We, need not, we do not li- need to live in fear. Yes, on the one hand, we are to fear God, respect God, have a an respect and awe for God, a reverential trust of Almighty God who made us and will judge us. <coughs> but on the other hand, we're not to be afraid of those who oppose us for living for the Lord. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. The word dismayed means there to be in a daze or confused. Do not be in a daze or confused. The word uphold means to follow close, to keep secure. That's what God has promised to do. This verse reveals the truth that God meets all of our needs. The word uphold, again, follow close, keep secure. Notice also in relationship to our needs, fear, that speaks of emotional needs, dismay, that speaks of mental needs, strengthen, speaks of physical needs, thy God speaks of the one who cares for our spiritual needs, and uphold speaks of our eternal needs. Philippians 4.13 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I wonder, do you have a need this morning? Sure you do. If you don't, you're probably sitting there dead. We need to get the corner. Every one of us have a need. If you say you don't, you either in denial or you're so blinded that you can't see your need. We all have needs this morning. No doubt they're different from those that are sitting next to you. But you have needs. And one of the greatest needs is that you need the Lord. If you're not saved, you need the Lord. If you're a Christian, you need the Lord. Now, if there's never been a point in time when you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you from your sin and give you a home in heaven, then you need the Lord this morning. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The word of God is true. Truth number one. Judgment is coming. Truth number two. But you're going to come up short if you don't know the Lord is your Savior. No matter how good you are, Or how good you were. Or how often you come to church. Or how much you put in the offering. You're going to come up short. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I ask, won't you come to him today? That may be your need. But Christian, you need the Lord. Yes, you've trusted him for salvation. But what about your daily life? truth number three are you at zared the place of exuberant growth or are you at the place in your christian life that is powerless because you're not advancing for the lord and conquering the world and the flesh and the devil perhaps your life this morning is stagnant and there just doesn't seem to be any purpose in living you ask how can that happen to a christian Well, you can bet it can, and some of you know exactly what I mean. There's been times in your life where you've been there, or perhaps you're there this morning. You've neglected the word of God and prayer and consistent attendance to the services of this local church, and your life is full of problems and defeat. But being an obedient Christian will not mean there'll be no trials. But it does mean you can have victory. You can be a conqueror of those trials. You can grow in the Lord. Because God's word is true. There will be a day of counting. But are you growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis this morning? If not, you need to come this morning. You need to get right with God. I know a number of you use the uh, devotional book called The Baptist Bread but one of the devotions caught my attention this week. In it they used the the text Luke's 8:45 and it says And Jesus said who touched me. And the writer sh- shared the context of that verse and said the Bible says there is a great throngs a crowd thronging around him and And those people who were thronging him were not touching him by faith. They crowded close, but not for the same reason the woman wanted to get close. She drew near in faith. And the Bible says that she touched the hem of his garment, and virtue went out from from out of him, and the virtue took care of her need. Jesus said, who touched me? Now, do you think that Jesus, God in the flesh, really didn't know the answer to that question I think he did he's God he knows everything do you think he didn't know who he had been who had been helped certainly he knew well if he knew why did he ask well he was calling for a public confession he was calling for an open testimony of the miracle that God had given her. And I'm not suggesting your need necessarily is a need for physical healing as this woman had. But if you have a spiritual need, whether it be to be saved or to walk closer with the Lord, there's something in your life you need to get right before the Lord. You have a need and God is ready and willing to meet that need today. The writer of the devotional went on to say, "God, one robs God of the glory that's due Him when He touches your heart in a service, and you make a decision and you refuse to let God, it be known that God has moved in your life." Jesus asked the question, "Who touched me?" because He wanted the woman to willingly say, "It was me," and here's what happened when I touched you. He wanted her to publicly say she had been affected by faith, that she had touched him and her life had been changed. And when God speaks to your heart, when he answers a prayer in your life and he meets a need, he expects us to respond and to give him glory and honor. Anything less is robbing God of what he deserves. So often we agree with a message that's been given and perhaps make a decision in our hearts and we never make a move to make it a public decision but it says later in the book of Luke in chapter 12 verse 8 he says also I say unto you whosoever shall confess me before men him shall the son of man also confess before the angels of God we're certainly not asking for a show of pride we're not asking to 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 uh, for you to give a speech or do anything like that. But when God speaks to your heart, how many times do we just sit in our seats and not even move? And we go out the door and we forget what we had just decided. Many times making a public decision will help to solidify that decision in your heart and your mind. You can mark it down in your memory On such and such a date, I made a decision for God, and I I was willing to make it a public decision. I don't know what your need is this morning. If there's someone that needs to be saved, we certainly ask you to come and to acknowledge that. We know you can be saved there. But make it public. If God's touched your heart, let's pray.